Most believers uh, came from the background of Roman and Greek gods and have plenty of misunderstanding as to how to worship a real God. Um, they don't understand necessarily the importance of Scripture or Jesus being the Messiah and the, and the, and the gospel, all that was new to them. Um, and some of them brought their beliefs and misunderstandings of God into their Christian lives. Uh, and no doubt, John had to spend a significant amount of time counseling and encouraging those who had misunderstanding. So last week, Don pointed out that teaching uh, had begun seeping into the church and had confused some, and that's where it comes from, the culture around them. And they needed the light to be shown on the darkness of their understanding so that they could embrace the truth. So John gave them, in this particular passage, chapter 2, some tests, some tests of faith, some tests of trying to figure out whether they should have assurance of faith, of salvation, um, and so that they could see that they were right with God. And so as we go through today's sermon, please be thinking about this. Do I have assurance that I am right with God in a light? Do I have assurance that I am right with God and walking in the light? And now we're going to be reading through the passage. I'm going to have somebody read it for me. And uh, if you want to, you can look up uh, page 20, 20, excuse me, 1021 in your pew Bible, or it is 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 1. My little children, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but all the whole world. By this we know we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him, and because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one.
Heavenly Father, please bless us with your understanding, with knowledge of you. Help us to know you better. Help us to remember you as we go through your scriptures and examine it. Help us to see what applies to our own lives. Please, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, bless us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today we're going to be looking at basically four questions, uh, four tests of true Christian to Christianity, and it's going to be based from this passage. So first of all, I'm just going to go ahead and list them all, and then we'll go through and uh, delve into each one. And the, uh, the first is in verse 3, where he implies that the true Christian has come to personally know God. To know God. And that there has been, the, that, so that there's been an inner transaction, a personal relationship has been established. In the second, in verse 4 to 6, he points out that there is a behavioral change. The true Christian tries to keep God's commands uh, to walk in the way in which he walked. Third, in verse 9 through 11, he points out that the true Christian will truly love his brothers and sisters in Christ. And fourth, I'm going to go back to verse 1 and 2, which is the premise of all Christianity, that the true Christian embraces the gospel. So, let's also remember that as we're going through this, that John is writing this to those people, as you can see in verses 12, 13, and 14, they're in the church. He's calling them children. He's calling them fathers. He says, I am writing to you, to the young men. Anyhow, he's writing this letters to those who claim to be in the church. It is people just like us. Here you are. And there he was back then. John is concerned that some in the church are self-deceived, thinking that they are okay with God, when in fact they are not. So let's take a good hard look at ourselves as we go through this stuff today. First test. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know him. We know that we have come to know him. Uh, when Mike was up here, he read out of Jeremiah, and he, in, in, even in there he talked about uh, boasting, let, boast that he understands and knows the Lord. Boasting that he understands and knows the Lord. So we're going to take a look at knowing here for a moment. John is writing this from personal experience and he is saying it is possible to know God, to have a relationship with God. He is not talking about God like a theory. He is, not, he is talking about getting to know God like we would get to know another person. The creator of the universe didn't leave us to guess about himself. He chose to break into our world in time and space and become a man so that in Jesus we could easily see him. John wrote this in his gospel record about Jesus in the gospel of John, that God, where God became incarnate so that we can know him. It says there, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Now, interestingly, in the Bible, this word for knowing in Hebrew is actually a loaded. In other words, it has more meanings to it. It means more than learning facts about God. And so now I'm going to go to Genesis and give you an example of that word out of Genesis where it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And Think about that. Obviously, the word meant something far deeper than making an acquaintance. It also meant more than sex because there was a perfectly good Hebrew word for that that could have been used but was not. It meant an intimate marital covenant, a deep heart-to-heart connection and commitment. Something that is real, it is attainable. In fact, by this passage, it is necessary. Because you can see that knowing God is necessary. In the Old Testament, King Saul had, uh, had a self-serving relationship with God. He was interested in the God that would help him get his goals of uh, impressing people and keeping the throne. It doesn't appear that he knew God, though. It, um, his God was more of an imaginary God than a real one. On the other hand, King David was more interested in knowing God and serving him. And you can see that in Psalms that he wrote. Are you knowing the true God or one of your imagination and invention? Scripture gives us a warning that is possible it is possible to be self-deceived into thinking that you're okay when you're not. Scripture says, uh, on, there's a passage that says on Judgment Day, people will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? They're saying they did a lot of religious things in his name. And then he will respond and say, then I will declare to them, Never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Now, if you can imagine that God saying that, that to you, that he never knew you, you would, and I've imagined it, that would be extremely frightening. Doing the deeds of a believer, which is what these people were doing, didn't mean that you know him or that he knows you. Going to church year after year helps you to know about God, but it doesn't mean that you know God. Are you assured that you know God and that he knows you as his child? You pass this test, or do you see that you need more than what you have? God definitely invites you to know him. Do you have assurance that you are right with God and walking in the light? Test two. Do you submit to God's commands, keep his word, and walk in the way Jesus walked? This deals with our behavior. Uh, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected or completed. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In the scripture, uh, both the apostles James and John agree that when someone comes to know the Lord, when there is true faith, there will be a behavior change. 
there will be works, there will be deeds. If there is a claim to having faith, but there are no works or deeds, there is no change in the person's life, there is no real faith. When we keep the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, our ultimate devotion then is with God, which means that our loyalties and our choices will be God. We adjust our future and our present plans and our decisions to the will of God, or else we're not treating Him as God. If we don't purpose to bring God into our decisions, we will make them on our own desires, on our own opinions, on the influence from the culture around us, and unthinkingly we will have reduced God and elevated other things than Him. The implication is, is we are wiser than He. We are wiser than the Creator who invented wisdom, plain God if we don't submit to him. But if we consider our past regrets, our shame, our incompetence, our mistakes, if we consider all those things, we see that we are mortals who make a poor God. We may think we are wise in our own eyes, but we aren't wise enough. Truly knowing God moves us to submit to him and cooperate with him. And if you are keeping his word, you will grow in humbleness and inner peace and patience and mercy and joy, compassion and love, because you'll know him. Are these things evil? Let's think about this. Are you becoming less selfish? Are you less moody? Are you less fearful? If you're not sure, ask someone who knows you well and give them the opportunity to candidly respond. When it comes to walking like Jesus walked, Scripture is right there is addressing how Jesus navigated life on this earth. He humbly walked in ministry to other people. He was not self-focused. Are you walking humbly with your God? Do you submit to God's commands and walk in the way Jesus walked? Do you pass this test? Do you have assurance that you are right with God and walking in the light? Test number three, are you growing in love, especially love with other Christians? Because that's what this passage is about. It says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Jesus declared the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor. And by putting us into a congregation, into a church, fortunately, he has given us a great place to practice loving people. The kingdom of God contains people quite different from each one of us. There's a wide variety in the kingdom. And loving other believers is like the boot camp for the second greatest commandment. Think about it. 
If we can't give room to loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, how will we love those in the world who don't care about us at all? And if we can love our brothers and sisters well, how will that prepare us for loving those who don't know the Lord? Are you purposely loving Christians that are not like you? You have to purpose that. Because you will always be drawn to people who are just like you. What about the prickly ones? What about the immature ones? What about the ones that struggle in their walk with Christ? What about those politically, racially, culturally, financially different from you? How are you handling those differences with other Christians? Scripture says the Lord's servant, that's us, must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. I realize that's a pastoral command. But that's no different than anyone who's growing in the Lord who needs to be coming into maturity. The Lord wants us not to be quarrelsome. Are you choosing love? Or are you holding bitterness with your brother or sister? You can only cling to bitterness if you look down on them in the superiority of your own pride. And that is not loving them. Do you avoid other believers? Is your relationship broken? Well, have you tried to do the hard work of reconciliation? If not, then that is not loving. I am am so thankful that Jesus did not look down on me or you and say, those people... They are so toxic and deplorable, I cannot love them me with the respect I deserve. But Christ came to save sinners like you and me. We can't wait till our brothers and sisters clean up their act to a level that we deem fine. We love them now. Are you ready to build unity? Are you committed to loving your brothers and sisters like this? For their sake? For Christ's sake? In Philippians it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Are you ready to redouble your effort to love the brethren? Do you pass this test? Do you have assurance that you are right with God and walking in the light And then the final test is the test of the gospel of Christ, and it is the cornerstone of our... And it goes back to verse uh, 
Verse 1, starting verse 1, says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Jesus willingly sacrificed his life for our sin, and that is the gospel. It is what frees us from the penalty of sin, and it is what begins our walk out of the darkness into the light. It is the gospel, it's the light of truth, to live out this life according to the gospel. The gospel is the reference point that influences how we live this life. Am I a sinner saved by grace? Has God been compassionate and patient with me? How can I not be compassionate and patient with my neighbor? Jesus left the riches of heaven to die for me. How can I not sacrifice some of my time and resources to those in need? You see, it influences our perspective, our direction, and our purpose in life. It's not just that we were saved. It's how we end up having to live life. Do you pass this test? Do you have assurance that you are right with God and walking in the light? Now, if you fail any of these tests, it could be that you are still in darkness. It could be that you are stumbling outside the light trying to find God. Come to the light of Jesus. Come inside. It is where you were meant to be. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back on up and sing one more song. And as they come, I want to remind you of the main points of this, the testing. And one is, are you sure that you know, or are you sure that you know that you have come to know God? And is there any outward evidence to your faith? And are you maintaining your love, commitment, and unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ? And if not, why not? And do you embrace the gospel and make it influence your outlook on all of life?